Hello, this is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Josh Hainum. He's the co-founder of a company called Interact, and they make a software tool called Interactive Quiz Builder. And it is what it sounds like. It helps you build quizzes. They work primarily with businesses, and they use these quizzes that they put out on Facebook, on their websites, elsewhere, as a form of content marketing to help them grow their email list and get those leads into their sales funnel. They've since expanded and went into other aspects and tools like that. But, you know, Josh and I really talked all about the backstory where they've been fully bootstrapped and they've gone from zero up to over 25,000 customers across their freemium plans and their paid plans coming up on over uh, 1 million ARR, which is always very impressive for a bootstrapped company, especially one with highly funded competitors. But we actually spent a lot of time talking about their price points and using the freemium business model. But then there was a period where they changed from freemium to not freemium, basically just paid plans. And you'll hear all about how that made an impact on the business for better or for worse. And uh, that's an interesting part of the story. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here you're going to hear the story of Interact with Josh Hainum. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Josh Hainum from a company called Interact, which does a number of different products. We'll, We'll dive into it. Josh, welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Before we really even dive into this interview, I just want to kind of call out how this booking came about. I don't normally talk about this side of it, but you sent a cold email to get booked on the podcast. Actually, I I think you sent it to the Bootstrapped Web podcast, me and Jordan. And we haven't really been booking guests over there, but occasionally I invite guests onto this podcast instead when they reach out. I got to be honest, I usually ignore those emails. We get them every week. I get a number of those every single week. Yours just kind of stuck out, and this is kind of like a tactic for anyone listening who wants to get booked on podcasts. You know, yours kind of stuck out to me for a few different reasons. Number one, it was short. It was like, I don't know, three sentences, something like that, three or four sentences. You started it off like, hi, Brian and Jordan. So clearly, you, you've you at least listened to the podcast like at least once. You gave a bit about your story, about how you've been uh, up against funded competitors, you've been bootstrapped, and now you have a customer base of 35,000 strong. So that kind of stuck out to me. But then you just kind of like left it at that. And just awesome. I mean, I, I get a lot of these emails. Sometimes they're like from an assistant, oh, like, oh, our, our CEO wants to get booked on your show. Or you just get these emails that are like five paragraphs long, just a wall of text. It's like, I can't read that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's always been something that I've done, you know, especially being a bootstrap company, you get knocked down so much that you just become like, like just humble to the core to the point where like we, we have good success now, but I'm never going to be above quote unquote, like sending a solid email. And my whole thing is like, if I have something that I think is actually interesting to the audience and I do go through and listen and make sure that it is an audience that I could potentially speak to, then I just try to convey it in a way such that it's like, all right, here's my story. I think it could be helpful. And then I think back to when I was on the come up, it's like, is this actually a story that I think would be helpful where I'm at now? And it really is because we've had just kind of a crazy journey and there's tons of stuff we've learned through it. So that's kind of where I start from when I do those outreaches. And I think I'll probably just always do them. It's, It's like, why not connect with more people? Yeah, exactly. Love it. So yeah, let's get into it. 
tell me about your uh, your company. So, I mean, your your site is at tryinteract.com, but you have a couple of different products, mainly the interactive quiz builder. So, I mean, why don't you kind of like, how do you introduce your companies usually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll give you the party version, which is what I tell to people when I meet them at parties. Basically, we have a tool for making those quizzes that you see on Facebook and BuzzFeed, but it's used by businesses. So for example, one of our clients is like the American Red Cross. They make quizzes like, what kind of volunteer are you? Or are you prepared for a fire? Or do you actually know how to swim? They put these quizzes out onto Facebook and onto their websites and blogs, People take those quizzes, and then at the end of the quiz, the American Red Cross is able to ask those quiz takers to put in their email address in order to reveal their results, and then those emails go on to the email list for the Red Cross. And that's just one example. Obviously, any business can use it, and we've got a bunch of templates you can use to make these quizzes like really quickly. So that's the main product that we have. We also do polls and giveaways, which are both lead generation tools as well, a little bit simpler, but the quizzes is the really big thing that's taken off. Very cool. And these quizzes, like, are they specifically for Facebook or you can like put them on your website or other places? Or Yeah. So you can put them on your website. You can embed them onto your page. Like you'd embed a YouTube video, but it's a quiz. Or you can just have the quiz as its own URL. And then you can share that URL out as a post on Facebook and things like that. How long have you been doing this? Four, over four years. Man, it doesn't seem like that long, but it's been over four years since we started. So your product line here, like, is it all different products or are these like different features of the same product? Like, so we've got the quizzes, the giveaways, the polls. Do you like sell those separately? Uh, they're all under one package. We're taking the, uh, we dub it the Amazon approach where we're just going to keep adding things to the same subscription and never charge people more and just keep adding more value. So they're all under one subscription. But yeah, you can make quizzes, you can make polls, and then you can make giveaways all within the same platform, kind of the same builder, but they are different tools. So if you want to switch it up after a month, you can do a quiz and then you can do a poll and then you can do a giveaway and then kind of loop back around. So it gives you lots of different tools for generating leads. So I'm just kind of like checking out your pricing here. Looks like a fairly typical standard, like monthly annual SaaS pricing. So you you do have a free tier. Have you been going with that like freemium plan since the beginning? Yeah. So that's actually an interesting arc that we've had. So we started out with the free tier and then we honestly got too cocky and got rid of it. At some point we were like, oh, our our product is super valuable. People are going to pay for it, of course. And so we got rid of it. And at first nothing happened. We just made more money. But then after about nine months, our flow of new customers started to really slow down. And it took a while for those free people that were just testing it around, kicking the tires, that kind of stuff, to kind of dry up. And then we ran into a really tough spot to where for about a year and a half, we pretty much stagnated the company because of that and other decisions. But yeah, we got rid of it. And then we reintroduced it the end of 2016. So last year, just about a year ago. And since then, it's like kicked things into high gear again. So big promoting of of freemium over here. You know, that's really interesting. And I, I really want to dig into that a bit more later in this interview as we get into like the story from start to finish. But Freemium plan up to uh, light growth pro up to about $125 a month. Like, can you give us any sort of sense of, of uh, size today, like customers, revenue, anything like that? 
Yeah. So in terms of customers, we've got almost 40,000 now across the free up to the paid plans. In terms of revenue, we'll hit a million in ARR by the end of this year. So we're scaling super quickly. Uh, We've grown well, we will grow 4x by the end of the year. We're at about 3x right now. So it's been an absolutely crazy ride the last nine months or so. Before that, it was not that big. So it's been quite the journey. So now in the fourth year, you think the biggest, like the thing that drove this past year is the going back to freemium. Going back to freemium, a lot of product updates, some really painstaking like UX work, a lot more content being pushed out across our network, that kind of stuff all kind of came together, as well as the market kind of shifting around to where the strategy of using quizzes is becoming a little bit more mainstream. Cool. So you mentioned that this is for businesses. What types of businesses like tend to do best with this type of product or best for you guys? Yes, you can really use it for anything. And the key to using it for anything is to make sure that you don't make a boring quiz. Because if you make a boring quiz, no one wants to take it, it doesn't work. But it can work for any industry. And the way you do that is you make a quiz that's in the format of which blank are you. So we've all seen those like which state is actually right for you or you know, which coffee drink are you, that kind of stuff. But you can apply that to anything. So if you're like a business coach, you can do what's your business owner personality. If you're a marketing coach, you can do what's your marketing personality. And so you just apply that template to literally any industry. And so we've actually seen like viral quizzes in all sorts of weird industries just because they've been able to tap into that like natural popularity of quizzes, which are in that format of the which plank are you. So there's really no kind of discrimination in terms of industry for these quizzes. Maybe early on, did you have any like specific inroads into certain industries that were like your first channel where you gained traction or was it always just like pretty varied across the board? It's actually always been super varied. I mean, some of our first clients were like Forbes and Red Lobster, which are about as different as you can get. So it's always been a content marketing play for us, which really just kind of casts a super wide net. And we've brought back a huge variety of customers from that net. Let's get back into the backstory here. Where do you come from? Like, what were you doing before all this? So, I mean, I'll I'll take it back to the beginning. I come from the Central Valley in California, which is farm country, kind of like a modern day Dust Bowl type of deal where, you know, it's farm country, but farms are consolidating. So unemployment's super high. It's a tough place to be. And I grew up, I was about 14, 15, like working age when the recession hit in 2007. So I went and applied to work at McDonald's and Burger King and 7-Eleven and Little Caesars and like 50 other like small restaurant chains and things like that. Just whatever work I could get. Literally zero interviews, like zero interviews from all these places where I wanted to work minimum wage. So I was like, shoot, what do I do? And I grew up very poor. So if I wanted to do anything, I had to make it happen myself. And so what I did was I made a bunch of flyers and I went around the street and I advertised like mowing lawns and installing grass. And I got a hit on installing grass, which is terrible work. Basically, you like haul dirt and sod, which is like rolls of grass that weighs 60 pounds each, and you put it into a yard. But I loved the fact that like I had created something out of nothing. Like I printed out flyers and got somebody to trust me to install their lawn and then hired some buddies and we went and did it. And 
it was terrible. I had back problems by the time I was 15 and a half. But other than that, it was amazing. But you got the entrepreneurial bug out of it. Yeah, it was like, man, this is this is awesome. Like, I just found a loophole in this system where like, systematically, I should not be able to work right now. I figured out a way to do it, undercut the pricing on everyone else because you know, your kids, it doesn't really matter that much. And that's where I started. So I ran that business until I literally couldn't anymore because I hurt my back. And then I switched over to buying and selling used laptops back when like there wasn't only Macs. So you could actually have a variety of stuff and you could fix them and all that kind of stuff. And there was PCs, so they broke and you could fix them and make money off of that. So bought and sold about 600 laptops between the middle of high school and the beginning of college. And then in college, in college, I had to stop doing that because I was quite literally failing out of school. was on the uh, academic probation after one quarter. So I had to quit doing that for a little while. And during that lull, I met Matt, who's my co-founder in Interact. We started working on agency stuff together. So we would go out and pitch building people websites, just like I used to pitch installing lawns. But it's like, hey, we'll build a website for you. Yeah. So many of us, like myself included, come from that some sort of web designer development, client services background, and then eventually got into some sort of products. I mean, so you did have that sort of like know-how to to build websites and like you got into that somehow? Yeah, I mean, completely self-taught, like, you know, Code Academy on my part. And then Matt was a computer science major, but we were at UCLA, which is very hypothetical learning. So he had to teach himself. I remember when he taught himself PHP, which is funny to think about that he's built the backbone of our quiz application that gets like 10 million hits a month when literally four years ago he had to learn PHP. But that's what we did. We started from, you know, not knowing anything. We just pitched that we could do it. And then we figured out how to do it as we were going. So, yeah, I think it's an amazing background to have in terms of the client services and just knowing how to deal with people and all that kind of stuff. So how long were you doing website client services before you got into and like, actually, what was this your first product? Or like was Interact or the Quiz Builder your actual first product? Or were you doing other stuff before that like app wise? Yeah, this is the the first uh, like tech product. So we were doing client services stuff for about two years. About a year in, one of our clients asked us to make him a sales personality quiz, which is where this idea came from because we were building websites. Those websites were designed to basically help people get new contacts. And then this guy requested the quiz and it worked better than anything else we did, like better than entire websites we had built that took months and there was all this back and forth and all this, you know, this pain involved. And then we did one quiz and it was like, shoot, this thing works better than all of this other stuff we do. And so we started to slowly build that into a product on the side for about a year while we were still doing agency work and meeting with clients all the time and kind of doing that kind of stuff. So it took us a year to spin up a real product. So you had that client who had that need for a quiz builder or just for a single quiz for his business. So it worked really well for him. And that was just kind of like the light bulb moment where, okay, maybe we should build this into a a tool that other people can create quizzes. Was that the next iteration of, of what you're thinking about? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, so we would build these entire websites and the budgets were like 30 grand and it would be all this cool stuff that we had put together. And then literally the only metric we'd ever get asked about was how many new subscribers they got. And we were like, shoot, like we just spent so much time doing this stuff that is really unnecessary when this quiz that we put together does that 
on its own and it can basically replace an entire website. So as soon as we saw that, you know, because we were in the agency world, we knew what kind of problems clients had. We knew what kind of problems businesses had. Biggest problem being we need more contacts. Then we found this thing that was basically a hack for how to do that more quickly and easily. And so it was just too big to ignore. And that's where we were like, all right, how do we get this thing to be its own entity? And now we literally have that sales personality template in our system. You can spin it up onto your website in like six minutes and connect it up to your email list. So you can do the same thing that we built manually back in the day. So it's kind of full circle. Awesome. I mean, on your product, so it actually has like templates, like pre-built quizzes that you can use and just kind of customize? Yeah. So we keep all the data from all the quizzes that have been taken on our platform and we use that internally to kind of like connect all the dots and see which quizzes are working well in which industries. And then we sort them by industry and create these templates you can replicate for your specific industry. So if you're in business, select business, sort them by conversion rate. So we also track conversion rate across everybody who's used that template. Grab the highest converting one, start using it so you know it's going to work. That's such a great tactic. And you know you see that happening more and more with companies who have really large user bases or customer bases, you know, and then you, they could actually leverage that data across the user base to actually add more value for, you know, you see it with, you know, lead pages. I, I think they had like all their landing pages ranked by how well they convert across their customer base, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's something that needs to happen a lot more because one of the things I've realized in this business is that new things are really hard to grasp. And if you ask somebody to do something new and also figure out exactly how to do each little element of it, they're not going to. They're just going to give up and it's going to be too much hassle. So you should use all that data that you have and you have to structure your databases right, which is why I think it hasn't really happened too much until more recently because you have to have all the data in the right place so you can actually analyze it. But if you do have it in the right place, you can analyze it and then you can tell people, just use this quiz. Okay. You can change it, obviously, and make it your own, but just use this to start with. Don't worry about every single little piece and you will have success. Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge for onboarding. Like having a SaaS tool, software tool, it's a tool, but you still need to know the right strategy on how to use it. And that's usually where people get hung up. And uh, yeah, like any sort of like template or starter direction that you can give them, that's really the way. I mean, the feedback that I'm getting on the tool that I'm working on right now, everybody kept at, it's like a content calendar tool. They kind of know me for my process that I've had with my productized service. They're like, well, we just want your process. Can we plug that in? So we had the builder of the checklist templates, but then later on we added like, okay, we'll just give you ours built into it on day one so you could start there. It's been really helpful. That's super smart. That's, that's genius, actually. And, and you're starting to see it in a lot of products now. Shopify just redid their stuff in a much more like guided walkthrough manner. You know, obviously, Lead Pages is doing an awesome job with it. ConvertKit has the same stuff built into their platform where it's here's what we would recommend. And then you can modify it. So you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from done. And then you can mess with it to make it your own wording and that kind of thing. And I think that's the next iteration of marketing products. The next wave that's going to come through is going to have a lot of the best practices baked in and use big data to inform those best practices and constantly update them as well. Yeah. So back to your story here of getting this thing, this idea off the ground, right? 
How did you actually go through the process of like building version one and putting in all this work on that and like the work of getting customers and all that and like fund that or self fund that, right? Like I know you're doing the consulting work. Like how did that whole process go for you guys? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So there was three things going on. There was trying to build this product. There was trying to keep it funded and keep ourselves paid and things like that. And then there was also school. So this was our senior year of college that we we're doing all of this. Oh, you were still in school. Yeah. So you have to go to class and then you have to do this stuff on the side. So Matt was building the product and I was selling it as if it was done, but it wasn't done. So we'd be like getting people on the platform, but there was no login system yet. So they didn't like build something and they couldn't log back in to access it. I remember that was a rough day. I was also in class on that day and I was getting an email from like a string of emails from this guy who had logged into our platform. He was like, I can't log in again. Where to go? He's <laughs> freaking out. So that was a fun day. I'll get back to you after class. Yeah. It's like, uh, let, let me finish this statistics class. Uh, so that was what was happening. And you know, it, it was just kind of a grinded out kind of thing. I remember having to go to client meetings. I'd ride my longboard to them because I was a college student. I'd ride my longboard to a client meeting, sit with you know the client for two or three hours, talking over their website and all this stuff. Then run back, fire off a bunch of emails to bloggers that we wanted to test out the platform. Then connect with Matt on like Friday nights, which were the only times we could get a way to actually work on the product, start building that out. So it was just kind of a lot of stuff going on and, and segmenting time to keep everything going all at once. And then the email outreaches weren't working so well. So I switched over to content marketing. So then I was writing a lot. So I was writing in class and then going to see clients and working on the product and all this stuff. How did you actually land like the very first batch of paying customers for this thing? It was content. So we made, well, I wrote a hundred articles about everything to do with quizzes. So how to make quizzes, how to use quizzes to get more emails, how to make quizzes for your business, how to make custom quizzes, all this kind of stuff. So just going like super all in on those keywords around quizzes, basically. Yeah. But then I also wrote a bunch of, we'll call them clickbait because that's what they are, articles that would get us backlinks. So I wrote like 99 types of content to fuel your blog and why 20% of searches on Google have never been made before, which is actually an interesting thing. But I would write those. Those would go out and get you know upvoted on inbound.org and stuff like that. They'd get shared. We'd get backlinks. So then we had some sort of authority on our domain. And then I wrote all the really like basic articles on how to make quizzes, how to use quizzes, all that kind of stuff. And those ended up ranking because they were so specific. And that's actually how we got our first customers. And customers were searching for quizzes. That was a need out there in the market that people were actively searching for. Yeah, not many, but there was a few. It was like 10 searches a month on some of these articles, which is why there had to be so many. And they were super specific. It was like how to use quizzes for social media marketing for nonprofits. And so that would be search term. It gets searched three times a month, but one of those people would sign up. So the content, all that effort into content was actually how you got your very first customers. It wasn't like manual outreach. What time frame? like how long did you spend writing all these pieces of content before it started resulting in traffic and actual leads and sales for the product? 
Yeah, so the, the manual outreach didn't work because the strategy was not well known in the market. So we'd have to explain it and then try to convince people to try it and then build the quiz for them. Maybe they put it on their website and never would they actually pay. So that didn't work. I tried you know, thousands of manual outreach, lots of conversations, nothing came out of it. And then I started writing the content. The first three or four months was mostly the clickbaity stuff, just kind of getting some domain authority. So I did that. And then the next four months were writing the really specific articles. And it was month eight or nine of writing content that we actually got somebody to pay. And part of that was also that our product was evolving as well. So it was worth paying for at that point. I think it was right after we got our MailChimp integration, actually, that somebody ended up paying because before that it was just download your leads in a list. And so once they were able to connect MailChimp, that became much more valuable. But yeah, it was eight months of writing content, 100 unique articles. I'm sure I'm not the only one listening to this thinking about like eight or nine months or eight months of doing all this work, all, all of this writing, a ton of writing, not to mention working on this product nights and weekends and going to school and no customers yet, right? Until the end of that journey, right? So how, what kept you going? What, like, were you getting feedback from folks or conversations with customers that like, this looks promising, maybe I'll sign up, like anything to let you know that you were working on the right thing? There was some of that, although not much. I think what kept me going during that time was just wanting to create something, and I thought it was cool. I thought it was neat. I had seen it work because we had done it on a couple of clients' websites very manually. So I, I knew it worked. I knew it was interesting. And then for me, it was also crafting my writing chops during that time as well. So some of those articles, the, the clickbaity ones, were getting a lot of traffic. They were getting a lot of comments and stuff like that. And that to me was interesting. So I was learning a new skill there. And I was like, well, if I can get good enough at this, at some point, it's going to line up with our product being good enough to sell. And that's going to be our golden ticket. So that was really what kept me going was learning this new skill of writing good content and, and conveying ideas and things like that. And I do enjoy writing. So that's what kept me going. And then Matt is kind of on the same wavelength where it's like, this is a cool thing that we're building. I like working on it. Doesn't matter. Obviously, it does matter if it makes money because at some point we were going to graduate and needed money. But but you, even if it didn't go anywhere, you're still learning a ton. You're going through that process of what it's like to build a product. Yeah. And for us, that was it. it was, we're building this cool product that we think is neat and getting to learn how to do content marketing, which is obviously an awesome skill to have and, and writing better, things like that. I mean, I got so good at writing that... I did one of my last finals in 45 minutes from 11.15 to 12 p.m. So it was due at 12 p.m. and it was 10 pages. I ended up getting like a B on it. So I wrote this final paper, which was 30-something percent of my grade, in 45 minutes because I had written so much in the previous eight months that I could just bang out good content just like that. It's crazy how writing is literally like a muscle. Like the more you do it, the faster and easier it gets. Oh, absolutely. And learning how to convey ideas in you know simple, easy to digest terms, taking broad concepts and breaking them down into something that's super easy to understand. Those are all skills that I still use. Totally. Just generally like listening to podcasts and conferences and, and stuff like talking about like how to go about launching a new product business. 
there's all this advice over, oh, you have to validate everything. You have to be talking to customers. You have to pre-sell your product before you write one line of code. And like, there's all that stuff. And technically it's smart. It's kind of the smart way to build a product these days. But I went through this phase myself too in my twenties where it was like, you know, I have a bunch of client work that I do most of my time, but I want to build products. So I'm just going to work on products, whether I have customers for them or not. And like some of them went places, some of them went nowhere. And like, it's just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and doing some work just to see what it's like to do that sort of work. Cause I'm not getting that work from clients. So might as well do it myself. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely a proponent of being in touch with potential clients and things like that. And we did, we kept in touch with people, but it was very inconsequential, especially the first couple of years, because we were inventing something new. People weren't using quizzes for marketing, for list building before we existed. There was no solution for this. So we couldn't call somebody up and be like, hey, what are you having trouble with with MailChimp? Let me talk to you about my new email marketing tool. There was none of that. There wasn't anybody we could reference as, hey, looks like you're using so-and-so. What do you think about that? How could you improve it? And I think when you are doing an improvement over an existing product in a market that already exists, you absolutely should start and end with client calls. But we were creating something out of nothing. So we had to start from scratch. We had to figure it out on our own along the way, build it up one little piece at a time. And then when we did start to get more interest, that's where I really laid it on heavy and started having tons of client calls. And you can use that to inform your content as well because the questions they ask you are good questions to answer with your uh, content marketing. So that is an added benefit. But yeah, you kind of have to just throw stuff at the wall. Tons of trial and error. We've spent you know, so much time building stuff that just didn't work, but you always learn something from it. So as long as you're learning. Awesome. So I mean, you know, you spent eight months building content, then traffic starts to come in organically from that content, leads are coming in. What was your funnel looking like at that point? Like, were those leads coming to your website and just signing up for the free account at that point? Or like, were they chatting with you? Were you getting on calls? Like, what did that look like? Yes, they were signing up for free. And then I'd reach out to everyone and see if they wanted to talk. Some of them would, and then they'd eventually upgrade. Other ones would just sign up free and then eventually upgrade on their own. So it was all signing up free to start with a little bit of, you know, just giving it a shot on like the paid trial, but for the most part, signing up for free. And then a lot of them connecting with me and wanting to talk for a good amount of time before they actually invested in something. So it was, you know, not sales, but a lot of high touch stuff. So early on, was your pricing basically the same as it is today? Or what was your pricing from day one? Yeah, so it was basically the same as it is today. So fast forwarding a little bit, I'll jump into kind of what happened next. So we started out, there was this content that was driving traffic all about using quizzes. At some point that started to cap out. So only so many people were searching for quizzes. And this is still true. Like our search traffic has not changed dramatically over the last few years. There's not a ton of people searching for quizzes for marketing. So we kind of hit a ceiling on that. And my reaction, which was the wrong reaction, was to raise the prices. So for our second and third years, we had higher prices no free plan. And we were kind of coasting on this traffic that we were getting from these existing blog posts. And it it kind of capped out, we got stuck at a certain level in terms of our customers and things like that. 
and we got stuck for a while. So you still had the free plan, but you just increased the price on the higher plans or you took away the free plan. No, we, we also got rid of the free plans and not good things to do. So well, a few things that we shouldn't have done. We shouldn't have got rid of the free plan. We shouldn't have raised the price. And we should have rather tried to figure out another marketing method instead of saying, oh, we only have this one thing that works. Let's just raise the prices because there's only so many customers we can get. So that's where we got stuck from years two to three. We had higher pricing we didn't have another marketing method and we really stagnated for that year as you're stagnating the prices have risen and you did see the revenue rise from that was it the new customer signups that you saw kind of flatten out yeah new customer signups were flattening out eventually it got to be less they were paying more but there was less customers overall and then there was nowhere for us to go because we didn't have a stream of people coming in. We didn't have leads from the free accounts that we could sell to. We didn't have any sort of natural virality you know, from people that are sharing our content, stuff like that. So we really, really capped ourselves out. How was like churn during those first two years there? Pretty high, pretty high, pretty high. It was just about 10% month over month, which is too high for a SaaS company. So in that second year, like, when did you start to make the realization that like, all right, that pricing change was the wrong idea? Like what kind of tipped you off to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely took too long making that realization because what we had done was we raised the prices. So then we were like, oh, okay, well now we can do sales. We can reach out to people and try to sell this product, which absolutely didn't work because again, we're inventing something new. You can't reach out to somebody and say, hey, your existing quiz has these problems. We have a better solution. There is no existing quiz. So there's no conversation to be had. You're going to start talking about quizzes. You're going to go down a rabbit hole. They're going to have all these ideas for you. It's never going to work out. So we made very few sales doing outreach, even though we were doing all the right things in terms of strategy for sales. So it really was a year and a half before I realized, okay, this is not working. It's not the people. It's not the strategy. It's just that sales and these higher price points are not going to work for us. And that's where had to go back to the drawing board. And what I did to get us out of that, which I didn't know this was going to work, but it did. We hired somebody to handle all of the customer success and onboarding things that were kind of bogging me down in my day. So we brought Jane on to do that. And then once that was passed off and she was handling all of it, which is you know, a huge relief for me, I started to look at other ways that we could do marketing. And I read an article about Adidas and the way that they do marketing is they have groups of influencers around the world and they ship them all shoes whenever they have a new launch and then they all post about those shoes on the same day. And these are not big influencers. They're people that have a thousand followers on Instagram. So, you know, somebody who's just popular like among their own friends. And I thought that was really interesting because I knew... The content that I had been writing worked to get us customers, but I didn't know how to get it out to more people. So I thought, what if we found bloggers who would use our tool and then they could write articles that were basically the same as the ones I had written in the first place, but they can put it on their blog. So then we reach, even if it's only like 500 people that follow them, 
we reach 500 new people. And I know that these blog posts have high conversion rates because that's how we got all our customers in the first place. So I tried it. I started reaching out to bloggers and went kind of nuts with it, as you do when you've been struggling for years to do anything. And all of a sudden you have this new thing that you think might work. So put in literally 16 hours a day, six days a week, reaching out to bloggers. Just getting lists of bloggers and reaching out. And you're offering what, like, here's a free license to our product for you to use. Yeah, if you'll write a blog post in return. Simple deal, straightforward, no catch, there's no gimmick. We're not going to come back and try to charge them or anything. That's it. Just use it. If you like it, write a blog post. Since we started doing that, we've grown 300%, and that was February of this year. So it worked. And now we have a team of people that reaches out to bloggers and does the same thing over and over and over again. Because again, we knew these blog posts convert people into customers, but Google only has so much to give. Where else can we go? Now we've got a thousand partners. I'd like to get to 10,000 or more. And who knows what the future holds. That's awesome. Do you have like an affiliate program that you offer the bloggers to link up to? We do for some of them. If they're interested, a lot of them are not even interested because they're smaller or whatever. But if they are interested, we do have that as an offer. We're in this period where you're in like the second year, you're, you're starting to learn about the pricing changes, you're turning around on that, you're, you're doing the blogger outreach strategy. At what point does all this become a viable business for you and your partner to go in full time on? So like you don't need to do other consulting work, you don't need to do other stuff. Again, like I think that's one of those things that doesn't get talked about enough, especially with SaaS, you know, um, because for a lot of people, even like $10,000 a month MRR is not viable for uh, somebody with partners and a team to support and that kind of stuff. So like when did that shift happen for you? Yeah, so that happened early and it happened, well, not super early in the grand scheme of things, but it happened about a year in. So shortly after we had graduated college, which was perfect timing because we didn't have other jobs. So that was it. And we, we moved up to the Bay Area from Los Angeles, so we couldn't keep our clients anymore. So we're kind of out on our own. So we had enough, I think it was seven or eight in MRR to support two people, not very well, but you're just out of college. It is what it is. And so we had enough, but that's the point where I love that quote. And it's so pertinent to me where good is the enemy of great. And we were doing good enough to get by, but we were not doing great. And that's where I think I got lulled into making some of those not good decisions with the freemium stuff and the sales and things like that, because I thought, Hey, we made it this far. We're doing good but we weren't doing great. And that's where it took that whole kind of downturn and, you know, those bad decisions in terms of sales and marketing strategy and stuff like that, because we were doing good enough really early, relatively, I mean, a year in, but that first year we were in school, so it didn't feel like there was a ton of pressure, but it kept us from being great. So you get to the end of that second year, you start to turn things around with the blogger outreach. You Was that when you changed the pricing back to what it is now? Yes, that was the beginning of this year, which is over three years in. So the second and third years, we were still doing the wrong stuff. We were trying to do sales. We had high price points, that kind of, we were stagnant. So first year was pretty good with the content marketing and things like that. Second and third years, we switched it over. And your first hire outside of you and your partner was that customer success person? 
we did hire one engineer while we were in the, we'll call it like the startup Valley of Death, where we were not doing so good. And he aligned with the way that Matt and I are, where, you know, we enjoy the process of building things. And so for him, it wasn't so much about, are you a hyper growth startup or not? It was, this is a really cool thing. I see the potential. And luckily, when we brought him on, Connor, he joined and, and started really improving our product, which primed us for the growth we've seen this year because our product continued to improve. So we did bring him on during the beginning of the third year. And then Jane came on a year later, uh, beginning of the fourth year. That kind of takes us up to close to now, right? So like, What's been driving all the growth as you've seen this turnaround? It's really those blog posts. It's those blogging partners that are using the product, writing about it, and driving traffic back in. Now it's starting to extrapolate a little bit. There's a lot of network effect, word of mouth type of stuff going around where they're sharing it in their groups, their masterminds, all that kind of stuff. So it's starting to amplify, but it starts with us connecting with different bloggers and influencers and marketing consultants and things like that and having them write blog posts similar to the ones that I did at the beginning, but just at a grander scale. So on the content side, I obviously you have all these bloggers blogging about it, which is awesome. Are you still producing a lot of your own content now or are you doing your own content elsewhere, like doing podcasts like this or guest blogging? Like what does your content marketing stack kind of look like right now? Yeah, I still do a little bit. So I write for our blog once or twice a week and some of our other folks do now as well. And then I'm doing the podcast that's a bit different in terms of a new channel for me. Did guest posting for a while, not so much anymore. But yeah, it's on our own blog, mainly writing about internal statistics that we find. So here's you know something interesting that we found in our data based on social shares and stuff like that, optimizing different pieces of quizzes and things like that. So that's what I write about. And then going out and doing the podcasts now and kind of spreading the word that way as well. Are you doing any sort of paid advertising? We're not. It's something to be explored, but we're having good success with our current channels. So we're kind of focusing on what works. Uh, competitors. So you mentioned that you have really well-funded competitors. I'm curious, like going back through the story of the last couple of years, like when did you identify that you had competitors? I know early on you were building a tool that kind of didn't exist before, but like when did kind of competitors come up on your radar? Yeah. So they've come in waves. We started in 2013, right after we got our initial success, we were, you know, in the hundreds of customers, there was a couple that popped up, a couple of competitors, one raised a couple of rounds of funding and really were doing the exact same thing we were, which hadn't existed until we started doing it. So, you know, pretty obvious copycat, but with a lot more money. So we went head to head with them and a couple others early on and we were winning and then we started losing when we switched over to higher price points. So we had them. Were you hearing it from your customers? Like, were they like asking you like, how do you compare to so-and-so? Like that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. All the time, all the time. And one in particular that had raised those two rounds of funding early on, we would hear that all the time. And, you know, now we've remained bootstrapped and we don't hear that anymore. And we're also getting a lot of people that are saying they are tired of using that one for various reasons and moving over to ours. So kind of outlasting on that 
And so that's a pretty nice feeling. And then more recently, there's a there's a new wave of the copycats that have come up as you know we're hitting this next kind of proliferation of interest in this strategy. There's a whole new wave, we'll call them class, uh, of competitors that are popping up. So there's three or four new ones as well, a few of them which are funded. So I feel like that's happening in like all sectors of SaaS these days, especially marketing tools. Like every single marketing tool, it's not just like two or three competitors to choose from. There's like at least 10 now in, in every vertical. Yeah, and I I love the competition. I love the competition where it's like who can make the best product, who can deliver the best service. It forces you to be on your toes at all times. You never know. You can never you can never stop innovating. You can never stop improving. And those are two of our our mantras here at Interact. So we love that pressure of just having to continue innovating on your marketing strategy, innovating on your product, innovating on your service, all this kind of stuff. So I actually love having those competitors. And it is fun to kind of see when they do raise money, they have this big blip and they are reaching out to everybody at the same time. And all your customers are like, oh, should we switch? And then they run out of that funding and you stop hearing from that company anymore. And it's nice to see that happen because if you just keep building a better product, building a better network, you can outlast all of that stuff. So at this point, like as you're growing pretty fast and these competitors are very real, they're significant in your market, how much attention do you give them? Like how much of your time personally are you focused on like, well, how does our product roadmap compare to what our customers are comparing on their sites? Like, are you thinking about that a lot or are you focused mostly on your own customers? Oh, like zero. We never even care. I mean... I say this and it's a bit cocky, but we're the only one in the market that's actually innovating. So there's nothing for us to look at and say, oh, so-and-so is doing something new. No, it's always us out front creating a new concept. So we have to be absolutely in touch with our customers and our partner network to know what we should be building next and then growing our partner network so that we can continue getting new customers but we can't learn from our competitors because they're not doing anything new. So we don't bother at all. You know, the only time they ever come up is when we're on calls and they say, how do you compare with so-and-so? And a lot of times we're like, we don't really know. Try both of them and see which one you like better. 99% of the time we went out. I guess on that point, you're talking to your customers and you're talking to your partner network, the bloggers and, and people who've talked about you, that's where your product roadmap comes from, like your features. And like, I'm curious, how did it come about to go from quizzes into giveaways into polls? Like, how do you know, or how do you start to validate like where you should start to put that effort? Yeah. So we talk with our customers all the time. We keep a Trello board of feature requests sorted out by category. And then there's a number next to it with how many times it's been requested. So that's how we keep track of everything. And then we have a column for new product requests. And a lot of our customers have said, you know, we're doing polls as well. We're doing giveaways as well. It'd be really nice if we could manage all that in one account instead of having a giveaway tool, a polling tool, and a quiz tool. So that's where we got the ideas for those. And they were the highest numbers. So we built them first. And there's other uh, products in there as well. And same goes for everything else that we do with our product. There's a list and a number next to it, how many times it's been requested. And we go down the list. Awesome. Really interesting. Great story here. All self-funded, bootstrapped, and you're able to sustain this thing, get it off the ground. And now you guys are uh, growing like crazy. It sounds like you've learned some things, you, you've done some experiments and yeah, pretty cool stuff. Ah, thank you. Thank you. 
so where can folks reach out to you? Obviously, you, the website is tryinteract.com. That's where you can check out the product. Where else can people kind of connect with you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at jhanam, J-A-J-Y-N-A-M. You can reach out to me there. If you also hit the Interact Twitter at tryinteract, uh, they can ping me and let me know that you're on there. And then, yeah, on our website, if you sign up on tryinteract.com and reach out, you can always reach me through there as well. They'll ping me if, uh, if there's a special request. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, did you know that you can get all of these show notes and highlights and links for every new episode sent straight to your inbox by going to productizepodcast.com. Sign up for the email list. Yep, it's all there. And while you're at it, a five-star review on iTunes always helps the show find more listeners just like you and me. Okay, that does it for today. Late. <laughs>